0: We better get out there, proclaim Christ to all nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right now.
1: Oh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly, we're back, weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined this week, as always, by my lovely co-host, Dave the Technophobe Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? (laughs) Good,
0: good. Technophobe, is that because of the comment I made that I'm afraid I'm going to send something to the internet?
1: Dave is so scared of (laughs) of all of the electronics that is currently surrounding him. He wishes he could just run away into some medieval cave and just, mm-hmm. you know, with his relics and his crosses. All right. Oh, and, books, and books. And books. And books. I mean, I'm not like a, I'm not holy enough
0: to do just the relics and crosses.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I'd go crazy.
1: Uh, what is your favorite non-religious, non-philosophical topic to study? Um, like if you were to go through the books on your shelf, what do you have the most of that's not philosophy or theology? Okay.
0: Um... This is going to get embarrassing I feel like.
1: That's the goal. Uh, <laughs> uh
0: I've a lot of I'm I'm kind of interested in self-help stuff. That's that's kind of a bit uh, entrepreneurialism, that's a big thing. Economics for sure. That I mean that Trump's everything, but economics I'd put in the philosophy category. Do you? I mean, remember I remember I used to be obsessed with economics. The worldly
1: philosophy? Yeah. As it is known yeah. as. Yeah. Yeah. The secular and philosophy. And now I
0: feel like I I don't even want to talk about it because all of a sudden the church has this pendulum has swung and now people think that I don't, anyways i'm not going yeah, I'll I'll <laughs> <laughs> away from <laughs> my my fill my my economic beliefs and it's have you have terrible. you
1: not read the 50s and 60s social justice encyclicals that pendulum swang a long time ago no right? no 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 oh come on yeah anywho the uh the the funny thing with that i, I was looking at my Shelves the other day, and I have the majority. Obviously, is philosophy and theology, and I started to think, okay, well, what what do I want? What are the kinds of books and kinds of stuff I want to study? You know, with my kids, we do classical education, so it's like, should I have more of the classics? Like, I love the Iliad and the Odyssey. I the love answers, yes, always with that question. True, 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 sure, 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 sure. But science fiction <laughs> wins. <laughs> if we're okay, talking Kindle, what, okay. if we're talking Kindle, man, I have hundreds. Uh, and audible i have hundreds of science fiction and uh and audio books in in science fiction on my shelf like i love that stuff. you know what that's i think that bodes well for you because you know getting to know dr peter kreeft
0: a little bit that's a big deal for him science fiction oh, was a it? big big part of it yes yes and i said to him yeah you know my son likes it i i feel bad because i'm not into it so i can't recommend ones that aren't trashy I was like, and so many of them are trashy. I guess when you were growing up, it was probably different. He's like, no, they were trashy then too.
1: Yeah. 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 Science fiction is such an interesting genre because it allows people to play with not just the idea of technology, but then they reshape society, you know, and you, you, you're, it's fantasy, right? It can be. Yeah. And so uh, it's good fun though. It detaches my brain enough from the stuff I'm thinking about that yeah. I'm able to fall asleep at night. See, that's, see,
0: I think that's the, I think that's the problem is that I, when I am not reading about what is wrong with me and wrong with the world, I feel like it's it I'm like, what am I doing right now? Like <laughs> that. A, there's and that something it's wrong. been that way since I was thirteen. <laughs> like it's been that way since I was fourteen years old. Like I like this unquenchable quest to figure out what is wrong with me and the world and <laughs> and how that can be reconciled.
1: <laughs> America's just one really good self-help book away from finally being healed from all of her divisions. Hey guys, have you read Men Are From Mars, the, Women oh, Are From imagine, Venus? Can you imagine?
0: <laughs> what I mean, if, what's a book that yeah. you
1: recommend from that category of self-help? Yeah. Deep Work. Okay, so you put Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You put you put that Yeah, in. I don't do the trash self-help
0: stuff. It's not like, you know, that kind of thing. Miracle Morning or something like that. You know, it's like <laughs> I mean, not that that's trash. Of course, it helps some people, but like, you know, no, like serious change,
1: you know, like real,
0: real change like that.
1: Yeah. Deep work. Okay. I'm, I love Deep yeah. Work by Cal Newport. That's a, that's a great, that's a phenomenal, that's a game changer. I even have his, uh, yeah, it changed my life Time really planner did. right here
0: too. It really did change my life. And, um, you know, I forgot how I figured this out, but the other day I was thinking, I wonder if he read the intellectual life by Sir T Lange, which was, you know, another life changing book for me. And I read yeah. it every January. I'm reading it right now and the other day i figured out that he that was it was a big
1: big influence on him yeah Yeah. no in some of the early episodes of his show deep deep something questions yeah deep 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 questions Questions. he talks about that he talks about that and i think in the first chapter of the book he talks about it in deep work okay okay yeah anywho anywho um today we are taking our audience this season through a mystagogical understanding of the sacramental life right mystagogy was a term reply, uh, applied to in the earliest days of the church, a you could say a catechesis, a spirituality of the sacraments. In the East, the word sacrament is mysterion. In Greek, the mysteries is that which is communicated. In the Bible, mysterion in the, the, the Greek word means that which is hidden. And so St. Paul often talks about the mystery of christ or the mystery of faith repeatedly in the new testament i would encourage you just to go to biblegateway.com select your favorite bible translation and type in mystery and look at all the references in the new testament and it's cool and type in the word hidden because sometimes they'll 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 flip it on you and and use that other translation or that other word but The idea of it is, in the West, we took the word sacramentum, sacrament, which describes the outward sign, and in the East, they preferred mysterium, which refers to the hidden, invisible grace that's communicated. But for many Catholics, we've been sacramentalized without being catechized, we've been sacramentalized without being evangelized, and so this show obviously is about that. But right now, what we want to show is this undeniable bridge between the sacramental life and the life of faith. And why that bridge has like collapsed on us, the last two episodes were kind of setting up what mystagogy is and why we don't do it well anymore. but now what we want to do is take you through the sacraments and do a mystagogia for you, right? Like so today we're going to focus on the first sacrament, which is baptism yeah one of the the
0: you know you know i I mentioned that my entire reading career has been geared towards like what is what is wrong with me and the world, and how is that <laughs> reconciled right? <laughs> I remember reading substantially about baptism when I was in high school, and being very disturbed by the unbelievable importance, just, just just if you're looking at like space it takes up in the mind and the intellect of the early church, baptism is, without a doubt, like if you're doing a pie chart, it's, you're going to see a vast majority of their discussion centers around baptism the necessity for baptism and who can be saved and it is amazing to me and what what was unsettling for me is how little we talk about it now right because in a certain sense like one of one of the count like the bad like subcultures of catholicism would be like kind of like a checklist mentality right like and so many you know we've talked about this before like sacrament factories and stuff like this right and this checklist mentality kind of starts with baptism like well well got to get baptized first right check that off the list and that's it's something it's a historical moment that happens yeah. and they move on and really like they place the, the fathers place so much importance on baptism it would be impossible to ever move on from it right like you don't you don't move on from baptism and it's not like once you once you're like starting to go for confirmation it's like okay baptism is re- irrelevant at this point right baptism is a new life okay and without it there is no salvation and it is a clear teaching of the church that baptism is vitally important in our life of faith that that is what is going to be the opening of our life to the grace to the conversion to the repentance to the change that god wants to create in us so that we can be with him one day and you know saint augustine i'm 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 not quoting him directly i'm just pulling this out of my head so it might be a little bit of a paraphrase, but he says, there is no repentance without baptism, right? There is no forgiveness of sin without baptism. And so if we see sin as the problem, right, baptism is the beginning, and it can't just be this historical moment. It's got to be part of our every single day
1: life. I think it's so great the way you set that up. We don't go past baptism. Like, we really don't. No. So there's, there's a reason why at the Protestant Reformation, Luther when he rejected the, the fullness of the Catholic notion of the sacraments, he still maintained two, and those two were baptism and Holy Eucharist, and his reasoning was, I can't find salvation tied to the rest of the sacraments, like matrimony right. and stuff like that, but he can find salvation tied to baptism and Eucharist, and those are the two principal sacraments, right? Baptism is the initiation into the life of grace, and uh, Holy Eucharist is the summit of the life of grace, right? Union with Christ. And so if you think about it, right, we don't leave baptism, we go deeper into the waters of right. baptism. So right. growing in holy, well, why why would that be? Well, I think one of the problems with, with our checklist mentality is there is a presumption, and I think you find this in a lot of modern Catholic theology, there is a presumption of salvation for everyone. There is an, an implicit universalism, and we talked about this very early on in our show, If everyone is going to be saved, no matter what, then what's the point of training ourselves in the charisma and learning how to have a living relationship with our Lord? So, if there's an implicit assumption that everyone's saved, then the sacraments become a formality, especially baptism. And then when you bring up, well, you know, you can't be saved without baptism, which is the clear teaching of Scripture in the Church. There, it is unambiguous that God can save us outside the sacramental system but there is no salvation offered to humanity uh, obviously god is sovereign but right. we are saved through the sacraments and if we become aware of the sacraments then and deny them then god will deny us like that is the reality it came up recently i
0: was just i just got back from the the exorcism conference and we as one about does <laughs> we were talking about baptism and you know, it 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 makes people un uneasy when you say like there is no salvation outside of baptism. Okay, yeah. and and there were people who you know probably probably theologians right in the room who needed to put that in a box, needed to clarify, needed to sculpt it right. Yeah, w- which we do. I, I'm the same way. I need to understand, I need to you know control it a little bit. And and they you know so they started bringing up like well, what about the cases where people are saved you know without baptism, right? Mm-hmm. And and and. The the big thing is, and, and this is why I'm bringing this up because to your point about this implied universalism or like this kind of sneaky universalism that's there, is that baptism is a surety, right? Like yeah. we know, we know that we qualify at that moment, right? That we qualify for this, that that's how it is. The church will say, could there be other situations? Yes, but it's a could. Could there be other situations yeah. through which a person say, yes, yeah, it's a could. It's not this guarantee and 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 again, flying to the other side, it's not like because you're baptized, you're guaranteed salvation. But at that moment, right, that is the key to heaven is is baptism. And and we should have a little bit of attention if it feels uncomfortable to you for for us to say, look, there's no salvation outside of baptism. That's not a bad thing, right? Yeah. Because what does that tension show you? We better get out there proclaim Christ to all nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right now.
1: And, okay, so (laughs) just, I mean, we could do 10 shows on just this topic, honestly. Like, there are so many thoughts running through my head. But the (laughs) idea, okay, so we have an implicit assumption that everyone's already saved. So then baptism becomes a checklist. Or you have this other mentality, right? This other thing that seems to be that which is our Lord's and St. Paul's, the scriptural, the church father's, which is, that Christ has come to seek and to save the lost, and all of humanity is lost. So he becomes human, right? We call this the the marvelous exchange, that though he was rich, he became poor, that by his poverty, we might become rich. That's Second Corinthians chapter, I believe it's chapter eight, right? By his poverty, we might become rich. So he enters into our humanity, not just that, but he dies a death on the cross, not just that, but he communicates his life and saving death to us so that when he ascends, he ascends with us. When we talk about the mystery of baptism, we often need to address what baptism overcomes, and we butt up against another mystery in the life of the church. And uh, in Latin, I love the Latin of this, the mysterium the iniquitatis, the mystery of iniquity, or the mystery of sin. Why did Adam and Eve sin? Church fathers have poured out so much ink on this. Theologians, right. ancient, medieval, and modern, poured out so much ink on this. But at the end of the day, ultimately, it is a mystery why they chose selfish corruption over deification, union with God. But that state of corruption, in the East they would focus on corruption, and in the West we focus on original sin as a state of being disinherited. God created us to be sons and daughters of God. Right. When you look at the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Luke in Matthew's gospel, it starts with Abraham and then proceeds down and then goes to David and then proceeds down. When it goes, when it Luke starts with Jesus and goes up and then it says, who is a son of Seth, who was the son of Adam, the son of God. Right. Like and it takes you up into the heights of divinity. That's what we were supposed to be. That's what Adam was supposed to be. And Eve, a son and daughter of God. And our rebellion is the prodigal son, like we're all younger brothers in Adam, and this is the the kind of the the mystagogical part of our sin is we're in Adam, he is our what we call vicarious representative, he's the one that goes to bat for us, he's the a plus student for all of us f minus students, and he failed, and his failure reaps corruption. The threefold corruption of i'm now alienated from god i'm alienated from others i'm alienated from my myself i do not know the very thing or i what does saint paul say i do the very thing i hate i don't do I the very thing i want who will deliver me from this wretched flesh right so this this ache of human nature is the reality of original sin writ large and baptism does twofold things one it removes the stain of original sin and two It floods our life with sanctifying grace. So when you talk about all of Christian life is essentially living in your baptism, playing in the waters of baptism, as it were, what it is is living and amplifying that sanctifying grace to the point where you can genuflect in front of an infant that's newly baptized.
0: Okay, so you... Set it up perfectly because that's because that's I'm a genius to... and that's what okay. geniuses do. Don't, nobody, nobody, write in and tell him. <laughs> that. Don't don't affirm him. He doesn't need that. He won't fit out the out out his head out the door. True. The well, you set it up perfectly because what I want where I want to go with this episode exactly is mystagogically right. That two important things to understand is that baptism, in a certain sense, gets us to a certain point. Like if we're in a pit, right? If if original sin, if if corruption puts us below, it gets us to ground level, but then so much more, right? There's so much more that it does than just gets us to ground level. And that's what I want to get across is the effects of baptism are much greater than just getting us kind of, in a certain sense, even, right? Or in a certain sense, like our head above water, they are fantastic. And so can we talk a little bit about the effects of baptism here as far as like, you know, the, what you were talking about the sanctifying grace and and those kinds of things so yes. so we have the forgiveness of sins we talked about that that's kind of getting us back to this point right where we once again are are kind of like we have our head at a ground level here but it also makes us a new creature right and so we're back in that moment of obviously we don't have the preternaturality that that yep. adam and eve had but we're back in that moment of being a new creation and it's it's a certain sense it's like yeah you don't have the baggage right of humanity of of that and you have this moment of of chance this time in your life where you could live like you know a just life you know and and not have those effects now they're going to be swirling all around you of course there's nothing you can do about that but it's this beautiful time right where we are a new creature and this is why i think for so many people baptism becomes so emotional right like it's it's such a yeah. it's, it's such a an amazing moment in the life of a person or in a child i remember one of my favorite times of the year at franciscan was the easter vigil right when and when there was a baptism there it was like this like fantastic moment of rejoicing yeah that the whole campus would engage in and then yep. and then you kind of swing that pendulum and you see for those who have kind of let their theology of baptism go, like our Protestant brothers and sisters, well, many of them, right? And people are being baptized over and over and over again, right? Like yeah. three or four times. You and I have a, a mutual friend who got re-baptized, right? Like that's not a Catholic thing. Nope. And you can understand that it's it's in a certain sense therapeutic because they, they feel that like sort of like you know, this idea like I'm starting over. It's a new creature. But that's not the way it works, right? Our job is to preserve that newness of life
1: yeah and i want to hit a couple things so the the church during the reformation at the council of trent in session five and it's very simple it'll take you half an hour to read or half an hour take you 10 minutes to read yeah laid out in in kind of navigating the errors of all the different protestant theologies within 40 years that had come out you know luther and then calvin and then zwingli and the anabaptist movement all these different things wanted to cut a clear path. And one of the things that happens when we talk about original sin and in our inheritance, well, the way I like to tell it is it's an inherited state of disinheritance, meaning we were supposed to be sons and daughters in the covenant that God had made with Adam and Eve. And we, like the younger brother, rebelled against our father. And as a covenant, we, we became covenant breakers, right? And so we were created, so God created Adam and Eve and then gave them the gift of original holiness and justice, that we were in union, communion with God, and we broke that. This is why St. John Henry Cardinal Newman said part of repentance, right, which is a big theme of this show, is about is the reality that it's not like, oh, I made some mistakes, now I'm better, I have some more knowledge. He said, rather, we are like rebels who every day, have to lay down our arms right right and there's all these different ways and they're two these conceptions of life like i I just did this retreat for high school students up in uh saint louis and we were talking about these things i said you know that word sinner right we say the word sinner all the time and you might roll your eyes at it, like gosh am i really that awful and it's like in one sense you we can't understand what we've been given because we can't understand what we've forsaken and until you acknowledge, I am a sinner, then you have no room for the life of grace to work because it only comes by the by way of the truth. So if you're a liar, God needs to break you of being a liar. And right. the way you do that is by admitting it, repenting of it, and stopping lying, right? right. And so the Council of Trent in session five, so session five, it's, all, it's very short paragraphs, just kind of lays out these things. And it lays out like how original sin was propagated to us. And I always say it's an inherited state of being disinherited because the idea is this. Original sin was the mortal sin that Adam and Eve actually committed. It's not the actual sin that you or I or our infants right. commit. But it's just like the, a better analogy is your home. Your father for, doesn't pay the mortgage. It's a ding on his credit report, but everyone gets kicked out of the house, right? So it's a state of being disinherited. Now, some people say, oh, well, why am I getting blamed for him? Well, like I said, he's an A-plus student taking the test for all of us F-minus students. But also at the same time, it's not predicated to you as if you had done an actual sin. It's a state of being born without original holiness and without original justice, which God doesn't owe us, right? That was an act of supreme generosity. And so when we come to the cross, Jesus is restoring the likeness that we've forsaken. And he does that through the cleansing waters of baptism. And to receive the great mystery that we, the stain of original sin is washed away. Washed away in what? In the blood of the lamb, right? So this is another part of the mystagogy that you need to understand. The Old Testament prepared us for baptism. The Old Testament prepared us for the sacrifice of Christ. What is baptism? Well, it's this, the baptism is the same thing as the Eucharist. It is my complete total union with Christ Jesus where I put off the old man of the flesh and I put on Christ, the new man. I become a new creation. We walk in the newness of life, as Roman says. So the idea of baptism and all this stuff is it's still the same thing. It's the body, blood, soul. It's the Paschal mystery of Jesus being communicated to me. But in this particular instance, it's communicated so that original sin is destroyed and I now have a spiritual adoption as a child of God, right? That's the new thing that God has legally, covenantally adopted me into his family if I am in Christ Jesus. So, baptism, here's the hidden part, makes you in Christ Jesus.
0: Boom. All right. So, the catechism, the new catechism, we're, not, we're leaving Trent at this point. Do, <laughs> you we ever
1: re- do we ever really leave Trent? No, no. <laughs> we all live in its shadow.
0: <laughs> they list several graces of baptism. We talked about forgiveness of sins, a new creature. The next is incorporated into the church, the body of Christ, that you become a member of the church, right? And I can't tell you, you know, what this means, because after, you know, I talked about the church fathers talking about the necessity of baptism. After talking about baptism, one of the next biggest topics in the mind of the church fathers is is salvation inside the church, right? Salvation through the church, yep. that the church is what offers us this salvation. And so to be a part of the body of Christ is to be on Noah's Ark, right? That's those are the, the, the stakes that we're that we're, we're, we're gambling with here. Like the church is important. It's not just the way we worship God. It's not just like an expression of our individuality or the, the what we choose to do. It is the Ark, right, that saves us, and so that grace is incredibly fantastically important and you want that to say
1: anything about that yes i do <laughs> man i want to say so many things uh <laughs> so and where where does that come from that understanding of we're in the ark uh it comes from first peter chapter three which is one of the most important verses dave said something really funny before we started the show because we're both not doing a good job writing books and my book <laughs> is on catholic apologetics and he said it's like dude you're so funny it's like nasa when he went to the moon it's not necessarily that we built a base there but we got what did you say we got calculators calculators, and all kinds of things we got velcro it, yeah. out of it yeah right? it's all Computer the side chips. things yeah right, right. <laughs> and so one of the things for me is when catholics argue with non-catholic christians over the dignity and power of baptism over the mystery of baptism right. One of the common, they're like, well, no, only faith saves, not these works of men. And and that's one of the common things. As Catholics, we do not believe baptism or any of the sacraments is a work of man. It is a work solely of God on our behalf. But there's a phrase like <laughs> this one uh, Baptist preacher and and theologian, uh, Dr. Gavin Ortland, who's a great guy, but when he was talking about it, he's like, Catholics, when they talk about, so okay, there's the one verse on baptism being salvific, which is First Peter 3, and it's so funny when you think of it, because number one, it's not the only verse, but the thing that, like, this is what it says, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and preached to the spirits in prison, that's called the harrowing of hell, the spirits in prison, who formerly, so these are the Old Testament people who have died, who are awaiting salvation, who formerly did not obey When God's patience waited in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels' authorities, powers subject to him. Now, note what Peter does there in 1 Peter 3. He connects it to the Old Testament salvation. First, he talks about the reality that Christ went to preach to the souls in prison, right? That is, to we call it the harrowing of hell. You can look that up. He goes to preach to the souls awaiting heaven. And he uses the analogy of this is what people were like in the days of, of Noah. So then he connects baptism to the floodwaters. And this is something that I think many of us in our understanding of the sacrament of baptism fails to understand. It is first a sacrament of death and destruction, right? It is the putting to death of the old man of the flesh. It is the putting to death, the old creation. This is why in the early church, when you're doing RCIA, before you could be baptized, you had to go through the scrutiny rites where the bishop would literally bring your neighbors and say, is he living a Christian life? Prove it. Tell me he is. Is he loving the poor? Is he not harsh with his wife? Is he, you know, raising up his children in a righteous way? Like all of this stuff because they needed to make sure that you were choosing a new way of life, which today, checkbox, 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 I've been sacramentalized, I'm done. And so you look at Peter, so Peter then connects all of this, of course, to the Paschal Mystery, which is what powers the sacraments, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And you see that, Christ died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, and, he's like, and then he's gonna raise us in the resurrection, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, which is the ascension. So all the whole Paschal Mystery, is contained in Peter's one little three-verse snippet. But at the center of it all is the notion of Noah, which corresponds, that Greek word, tupos, is, is a type of or prefigures or is a pattern of different ways of translating it in the New Testament. So you think of it, who was saved? Well, there's only eight people. Noah, his wife, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, and their wives. Eight in all were saved. So what is Baptism baptism is the floodwaters and the church is the ark so who's saved those on the boat right that's the that's the overwhelming meaning a meaning that peter right is talking about the church and baptism here and what is peter what is the church also known as the bark or the boat of peter because jesus got into peter's boat especially in luke chapter 5 verses 1 through 12 where simon peter had his massive conversion he's in the bark of peter Right. We know how much as a fisherman that boat keeps coming up in the story, pre-resurrection, post-resurrection. And so baptism is the flood. It's destroying. Do you not know in in Romans chapter eight, do you not know, or chapter six, do you not know that baptism, that those of you who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death, therefore, having been united with him in a death like his, you will be united with him in a resurrection like his. So it's death and then new life. All within the one sacrament. This is one of the reasons why
0: I, I, you know, when I was reading about the old church and baptism, and I was doing this for a paper I was writing, it was about exorcism, actually, and and I, I was reading, like, how big of a deal it was and how big of a deal they made it, right? And the problem is, like, when when we make it into, like, this kind of cookie-cutter, simple little... A photo opportunity, yes, right? Yes, like and then compare it to the flood. Come on, yeah, right. Like I mean that, like that's that's not good enough, right? We're not doing a good enough job here, and so it like it is important, right? This this gravity is important. Like using these comparisons, right? Is is how we understand the sacraments because right? There's going to be nothing in human language or in in the physical world that can really get across the sacramental reality that's happening but words like flood gives us a hint of what is happening right even something greater than the flood when god flooded the entire earth is happening in the baptism of one child
1: yeah and so and this was understood this was understood from in the in the days of the early church this is the see one of the things when i point out um in in my my catholic apologetics book you know, when people say, well, where's that in the Bible? My answer is it's in the union between the old and the new. So it's like, why do you think baptism is salvific? Because it communicates the very life of God. No, that's what faith does. And you say, you know, faith justifies. I can point all these things and says, yes, baptism is the sacrament of faith. Those who have faith go into the waters and they come out a new creation. No, 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 no. Baptism just signs, seals, and signifies. It doesn't communicate. And it's like, Okay, did the flood communicate God's judgment, right? What happened when Jesus was baptized? Let's look at the biblical images of baptism. What happened when Jesus was baptized? He came out of the waters. His was not a baptism of repentance, even though he went under John, right, which was only a baptism of repentance. He said, we do it to fulfill all righteousness. So he goes into the waters, and when he comes up out of the waters, what do we hear? We have the son, Jesus, who is, has the Holy Spirit alighting upon him like in the form of a dove, And the voice of the father. This is my son uh, with whom I'm well pleased. So when you are baptized and you come up out of the waters, it's not just a sign that you believe. It actually is your spiritual adoption. God says to you, this is my son. This is my daughter in my son with whom I am well pleased. His righteousness is communicated to us. This is how, and this is why baptism matters so much that for those who we're baptized and then live as if they weren't, and then get married outside the church and all this stuff. Then they have a conversion years later and they're like, okay, I want to be, you know, do all this stuff. And it's like, whoa, 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 you got to get your marriage stuff situated. He's like, oh, well, that didn't matter. I would really. It's like, it does matter. It matters it does, yeah. greatly. It matters so much because your life was claimed for Christ that day and it's like oh I, but that's crap i want to be rebaptized it didn't mean anything i was a baby i was six i was this and it's like it meant everything to our lord right right and i hope that i you know
0: for parents this should be like a clarion call in a certain sense right that it like in the early church when adults were being baptized there was like this spiritual and moral maturity that needed to be exhibited you do that for your child like yeah. That's your job now, you stand in in that moment so that 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 the church knows, yeah, this child's gonna be raised in a family that will affirm what we're doing here in this thing. The next fruit of baptism is a, the sacramental bond of the unity of Christians, and this is why you know you see we're we're living in in a in a certain sense i mean there there are christians gomer i and I know you and I have talked about this uh this movement who consider themselves post protestants you know we've talked about this and i think like one of like we're living in unprecedented times in the sense that like christians now are developing theology that 40 years ago even no christian would be okay with okay so like they're talking about new creeds and things like that and one of the things i get nervous about i read this a lot in like um some of the Protestant theologians that I follow, or even 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 some of the articles like First Things and stuff like that, or, or Commonwealth or something, baptism is not taking the primary importance that it should be, and that is a major attack on Christian unity, right? Because yeah. the one thing we had in common with all other Christians is we believed in one in, in the baptism, right? Yeah. I mean, now these churches where you can get baptized once a year or all the time or you know that kind of thing or or when the theology doesn't reflect the importance of baptism like we're it is a major attack on the unity of Christianity.
1: Absolutely. And again, me being the scripture nerd, right? St. Paul, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, right? So you understand that from the beginning, our baptismal call, even through all of the shenanigans of the Reformation and the various schisms, we had sacramental baptism. Catholics believe in the validity of Protestant baptism, of Pentecostal baptism, but then you started getting this thing. This is what happens when you separate from tradition. You have people who take the phrase in Acts chapter two at, after Pentecost where they baptized 3,000 that day. It said, you must be baptized in the name of Jesus. And so there are Protestants who refuse to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right. They baptize in the name of Jesus. And now we're like, but that—that's not, that's not real baptism. Right. And then it becomes this like, well, you know. So then you have all these new theologies that minimize the role of baptism in the early church. I mean, think about it. When the Holy Spirit brought the Apostle Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts of the Apostles, he was from Candace, the the queen. He's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's riding back home in a cart, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. He obviously was a believer in. He was a, a righteous among the nations, and so a member of the Jewish religion, not not the Jewish ethnicity. And all of a sudden. Philip appears and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And then he says, how can I unless someone show me? Another Catholic apologetics thing. And then the guy, you know, Philip, the apostle, tells him about who Christ is. The very next phrase is, behold, there's some water and there's like a puddle on the side of the road. What is to prevent me from being baptized? Like baptism was so important, right? And it was communicated immediately to this man when he had and obviously his faith was sincere and he had a maturity in his faith he was making this pilgrimage to to israel and he received the word of christ or the gospel of christ and so you think about this i had someone say to me why is rcia taking so dang long to baptize someone i was like well this guy knew the old testament backwards and forwards so and he was on a pilgrimage to jerusalem so if you get there maybe i'll bring you in a little early uh (laughs) but But like, do you see what that was for that man? Like baptism was like, you have to do this. And it's not some vulgar legalism. Baptism replaced circumcision, right? As circumcision was a sign of the covenant and a member of the covenant, baptism is a more perfect sign. Why is it more perfect? Number one, only boys could be circumcised. Now men and women are baptized into Christ, right? Now it's, it's given to all. It's not some painful thing. The pain was Christ on the cross, and then the life is then communicated to us through baptism, right? These are, these are beautiful signs, but yeah, when we, when we start to chip away at the tradition around baptism, all of a sudden, the Christian unity thing immediately fails us.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think um, when you were talking, it kind of came to mind. Do you remember this, this story? I, I, I don't even think, it, I don't know if it was a year ago or a couple years ago, but there was a priest who, who they found out that his baptism wasn't valid. Yeah. Yeah, it was about two years. And he had, and he had been celebrating sacraments mm-hmm. like for years. Right. I mean, it was like, I mean, he had been priest for a decade or something like that, yep. or I mean, yep. several years. And they had to, I mean, they literally had to trace down all the people that he celebrated sacraments for yep. because of how important this is. I mean, that's, this is not just a certificate. It's, that's not what this is. You know, in fact, yeah, I mean th- that's not what this is, and 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 it's so important that we remember that, and that we think about that every day. That when I mean, that's, it's one of the things I, I I think about first thing in the morning is I meditate on baptism. Like, what does it mean this morning that I woke up a baptized, a baptized person, right? And what does that mean for my life today? This is important. The the last The last uh, grace that the catechism mentions uh, about baptism, which is my favorite one to talk about, is an indelible spiritual mark. And maybe we should take a break and then
1: come back and talk about it. No, that. no, no. Let's go to that. I got something all right, for that. Right, right, let's the do break. it. Yeah. yeah. This is going to yeah, be a I longer mean, episode
0: because baptism is worth it. Hashtag. Yeah, birth. that's okay. The indelible spiritual mark is something that is so amazing, right, that at the, at the moment of baptism, God takes your soul and puts this mark on you. Re- really, the church does in the name of God, puts this mark on you that cannot be removed. Now, right, our soul is is something ethereal, right, and so it's not like we're going to see it, but certainly it is there, it is there, and it cannot be removed. This is good news, brothers and sisters, right? It is good news that the mark is indelible, and I remember, Gomer, like, Being fascinated, fascinated with this man who was coming to an exorcism team for help. Okay. And he had been very high up in a cult. And he talked very in depth about a ceremony he did, right? Because one of the first things we ask is, were you ever baptized, right? Were you ever baptized? And this ceremony that he did that supposedly removed the indelible mark of baptism from himself. Okay. So, so think of how we place almost no importance on baptism, unfortunately, like yeah, as a church. Yeah. And this this Satan worshiper, right? That they knew enough to know that's what we have to attack is that indelible mark. Now, obviously, you cannot remove it; it's not yeah. possible. It right? is it's indelible,
1: not, which it, it is
0: indelible. It. But but that's the way Satan works, right? Is he tries to trick you into thinking that you're not free when actually you are free, right? this is this is a common thing but i was amazed at how important they felt that was and they treat it this ceremony very similar to baptism so what do we do we baptize our child and then we enter them into a life of moral living and discipleship to affirm that baptism they do the exact opposite of that they quote unbaptize themselves and then enter themselves into a life of iniquity To affirm that unbaptizing okay it's something that is so unbelievably important and when they see when they see that this is when even a pagan can see that this is something that has to be dealt with
1: shouldn't we take it seriously too i mean it's it's incredible it's absolutely incredible we had to re-baptize a guy and i use re in quotation marks Um, he he became catholic he became catholic but beforehand, he was in uh, a non-denom service, a non-denom church, and they baptized everyone at a summer baptism spectacular, right? Like <laughs> you're like, what? And they do. They have a giant <laughs> swimming pool, basically. Yeah, yeah. I've seen they, these video. I've seen videos. Yeah, they dunk them left and right, and they ad lib every baptism. You don't know, go over
0: some of these places. You know how like we quote clothe them in a new garment. Yeah. I, I recently saw one where they gave him, like, a, a commemorative T-shirt. <laughs> like, I was there, baptized in 2024, you know? like Oh, that's awesome. That is know, awesome. Yeah, I thought you were going to say, me. like,
1: put him in a leather jacket or something. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, so what happened with this guy was he was watching videos because he had discovered the Catholic teaching on baptism. He began to research it, and then he discovered videos, not of his baptism, but the one the year before and the year after that people had made and put up on YouTube. And they say things like, we baptize you. So number one, you can't, it's I baptize. It's the agent that is doing the pouring, not the community. We baptize you, our brother in Christ, our blah, blah. And they go off in this whole, they make another whole sermon, right? Uh, baptize you in Christ, Christ Jesus, who's the eternal Son of God, who lives and reigns? Who's this? Who's that?: in the of Father. And they go through this, and even though they might say in the name of the Father Son Holy Spirit, or some of them will say, in the name of Jesus, you realize like there's so much evidence to point to that this was not a valid baptism in the eyes of the church that yep. he had to be baptized at our church. And another guy, it just so happened that every time he tried to go to be baptized, he got into a, like, well, he went through RCA for a year and a half, was on his way to the church for Easter Vigil Mass, and got in a horrible car accident. Horrible. Whoa. Uh, Whoa. Ten years of, like, stitching his spine back together and all this oh stuff. Oh, my gosh. Right? So they were going to do an emergency baptism, all this stuff. And it, for some reason, things got delayed and delayed and misunderstood and blah, blah, blah. So then he goes again, and he gets in a car, and he gets sideswiped. Then he goes again and he it was like all this horrible stuff. And I would have been like, and he's telling me this story. And I was like, why didn't they just baptize you in the hospital? Like, right. what the heck is going on right. with these Stop idiots in your house? Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> I didn't know that was an option. I was like, these priests it, who were at, at your parish, they should be beaten. Okay. Maybe right. Not. But like, come on. They're did not like, I would absolutely have done that. So yeah. I said, this is the deal, man. Next Thursday, we are baptizing this guy who had an illicit baptism. Yeah. Come. So every day I met with this guy just to make sure he had his head on straight and you know we were going through and he was new to the parish and stuff like that. And then to see that man get dunked, both of those men get dunked, eyes wide open, knowing the fullness, fighting for the fullness of sacramental baptism. Everyone who knew their story was like, I believe more in baptism now. I believe more in sacramental grace now because of what these people did. And it's like, now you know why mortal sin is so terrible because it is a rejection of the life of grace that god gives you right it is like for me whenever i would read the old testament and you hear these stories especially in genesis you're like what the heck is wrong with these people like you really sold your birthright for a mess of pottage or whatever you know porridge or whatever and it's like oh oh really you gave up eternal life in god for you know uh, a handful of minutes looking at pornography or you did you know for for gossip that was malicious and destroyed someone's reputation you gave up eternity your birthright now that you're in christ for the sake of some silly moral right. sin, and right. you're like oh oh yeah compared to what we have in christ jesus everything is lost right that's yeah. why saint paul says yeah. i count all as loss because of the grace he was given at baptism so brothers this is this is what we need to do And what you need to do is text us EKSB to 33777. Hop on our mailing list. You're going to get awesome content. We will not spam you. Ascension Press is not a jerky jerk. So EKSB to 33777. Text us. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Jeff Cavins, and I'm excited to introduce you to the Ascension app. It contains the full text of the Great Adventure Bible, the full text of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and both the Bible and Catechism in a Year podcasts. The app has special features that make the
0: connections between the Bible and the Catechism crystal clear, like color coded cross links
1: and easy navigation. It also answers nearly 1,000 questions from Bible in a Year listeners about the Bible with videos from myself and others, also audio clips and excerpts from Ascension's popular books. To download the app, simply go to the App Store on your phone and search Ascension. I hope you enjoy it. I enjoy it. Carry it around everywhere I go.
0: Welcome back to Every Knee Show, Bow. We're talking about baptism, and we're talking about it mystagogically. Oh, baby! (laughs) We were just uh, talking about the spiritual indelible mark placed on our soul at baptism and how amazing and incredible that is. And I I would just be remiss if I didn't read Catechism number 1274 because it is the most beautiful statement about this. It says, the Holy Spirit has marked us with the seal of the Lord, the Dominicus character, right? The character of God. I'm not quoting that. Back to the quote. For the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit has marked us with the seal of the Lord for the day of redemption. Baptism, indeed, is the seal of eternal life. The faithful Christian who has, quote, kept the seal until the end, remaining faithful to the demands of his baptism, will be able to depart this life marked with the sign of faith, Mm. with his baptismal faith in expectation of the blessed vision of God, the consummation of faith, and the hope, and in the hope of resurrection. I mean, that is, it doesn't make you want to (laughs) just...
1: i love it yeah. i love it so much so the word we're to go out and
0: start preaching to baptize <laughs>
1: yeah. so consummation also has uh marital overtones if you know what i mean all right marital overtones that? oh my god. look gosh. at my eyebrows they are dancing we're gonna get an explicit rating on this <laughs> because i said <laughs> marital overtones <laughs> and made my eyebrows dance and which takes us to an incredible part of baptismal teaching in the in the bible about the mystery Right now, everyone loves, especially women, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 and following. Wives, be submissive to your husbands as to the Lord. Right? Everyone loves that. Well, verse 25 to 27 says this Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, usually, when Catholics present this teaching, they're like, No, women, before you get mad that you have to submit, look at what men have to do. They have to die for you. Right? Like all this stuff. So, but sometimes we lose sight because we focus too much on the matrimony. We lose sight of the mystery, which is actually where one of the many places where St. Paul says the mystery, right? So it says this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, what did Christ do? He gave himself up for her, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, right? That's baptism. In the name of the, I baptize you in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit and the washing of the water, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word that he might present the church to himself in splendor, right? This is the mystery, right? In splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Think of your bride on your wedding day, right? that day that women fast and exercise for and and buy uh, an insanely expensive dress and get their hair done did, as we say in Texas, and get all the makeup professionally done, airbrush makeup, oh my goodness, they want to look perfect for their wedding day. And Jesus is saying that baptism, right, that his death on the cross, him giving himself up for his bride, baptism communicates that, not only that, but that salvation, that sanctification, that holiness he washed you in baptism, the washing of the water with the word, that you might, at, at the end of your journey, be presented to Christ as his bride, without perfectly holy and without blemish. And it goes on to say, even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church. How does Christ nourish and cherish the church? Well, he nourishes it with his very body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist. Because we are members, verse 30, because we are members of his body. One of the shortest verses in the Bible. Because we are members of his body. And verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I mean in reference to Christ and the church. So the baptismal waters, the consummation, the indelible mark, all of this stuff is meant to be a covenant that holy matrimony points us to, a covenant with our Lord. You are the bride of Christ when you come up out of the waters. You are the adopted son of God when you come up out of the waters. All of this image, all of the things that were promised to Israel is now fulfilled in the moment of baptism. We need to treat it accordingly
0: amen is saint ignatius of antioch is being taken to his martyrdom which he was very happy about he's writing letters so excited to to not
1: not intervene don't take him away from his right he's
0: writing letters to his spiritual children he writes to, to polycarp and he says let none of you turn deserter let your baptism be your armor your faith your helmet your love your spear your patient endurance i mean that's what we need, right? That that he is writing that to us today. That our that our baptism be a part of our everyday life, that you live as a baptized Christian. And that's what this is about. That every morning you wake up and say, What is it? What difference in my life does baptism make? And so I would say for a practical takeaway, start your days out with a meditation on what What it would be like if you didn't have those graces we talked about. Look up in the catechism, the graces of baptism. What would it mean to not have that indelible mark? What would it mean to not be a part of the ark, right, when the flood is happening? Think about that, because that is what it is. And then go live baptism and let it be
1: your armor, like St. Ignatius says. And this is how absolutely important baptism is in the life of grace. Think about every time you enter a church, what do you do? Finger in the bowl, the holy water, and you trace the sign of the cross, and that's supposed to recall your baptism. Now you're like, oh, oh, this is recalling my baptism. This is a call to flee from sin, to repent, to change my life, to walk in the radical newness of life, to live the abundant life that Jesus promised in John ten ten, to have the Holy Spirit reign in me, a spirit of adoption, not timidity and fear, To fall back into slavery but a spirit of sonship and adoption that god is now my father right first john chapter three beloved you are children of god and so we are right like this understanding that i have a new dignity that is not performance based just talked about this to the high school kids a performative based identity says i only have worth value or dignity if i do x y or z i'm an athlete and then you tear your acl and people despair I'm a financier who's worth billions of dollars and millions of dollars. And then the market downturns. And tragically, you know, at the Great Depression, and the Great Recession in uh, 2008, men stepped out the window uh, of their high-rise building and killed themselves because they defined themselves by their performance. And God wants to define yourself by his performance. That's why Ephesians chapter, uh, what is it, chapter three says that it is by grace you have been saved through faith not by works, lest any man should boast, for we are God's workmanship, right? So we are the works of God. And he said, and then we are to walk in the good works that he has prepared for us to walk in, right? That we are to do the, perform the good works that he has prepared for us to walk in. We don't earn salvation. We receive it as a gift because we are God's workmanship. That shift in mindset reveals the dignity of baptism all the more. So every time you do the sign of the cross in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, every time, did you know that not even with the holy water, just doing the sign of the cross is meant to recall your baptismal dignity. The earliest sign of the cross before it was traced over our full bodies was the mark of the cross on the forehead that we do before the gospel. That was also what's done on infants at baptism and adults. It's called in, in the time of the church trials, it's called the suffragus, the marking. And it goes right to what Dave was saying about the indelible mark, right? The mark of the cross has been traced upon your forehead. We just baptized, uh, me and my wife were were godparents to a baby's baptism. And that moment where Father David has traced the sign of the cross on Ronald Peter's forehead and his chest, right? And then they do it on the senses. Like, this is him claiming him for Christ, the suffragus, the marking that we put on our souls. Every time you do the sign of the cross, think, right, this is my baptism. This is my new life. Amen. Amen. We're going to wrap up there. I I I
0: encourage you, deep do a deep dive into baptism, right? It will make every other part of your faith more fruitful. Thanks so much for listening in. We're going to continue on this series. We love to hear from you guys again. EKSB at ascensionpress.com. Email us your questions, your concerns, and even maybe just, you know. Like praising gomer like most of our emails are just like telling him how brilliant and <laughs> no wonderful one he is that no 100 percent. i'd say
1: 50 50 50 50 50 50 hey y'all uh listen this this is so important recover your baptism it's awesome god bless y'all stay classy